There's an aspect, and it's in the imperfect. And the imperfect simply tells us that this, it has in mind this whole process. God is interested in the process. Joseph was interested in the process that they would not only have sufficiency for today, but that the sufficiency would continue in an ongoing placement as God has placed them there to bless them, that the blessing would be continuous. I believe that is characteristic of how God interacts with you and I, his children, today. God has placed each of us in a specific place. And his desire is to bless us in an ongoing fashion. Now, I know you may be here this morning and you say, well, you know, my circumstances don't appear to be a blessed set of circumstances. We'll, we'll touch on that in just a few moments. So God has cause and purpose where he's placed us. And he is interested in that process, if you will, of taking care of us. The second thing he does when he positions us is he actually protects us. God has a desire to keep us safe to protect us. We are in this world. We're not of this world. We're sojourners. We're strangers. We're traveling through. And in the process of our sojourn, in the process of our journey, he is with us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And he is our strength. He is our shield. He is around about us. The Bible says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God is with us, and he is our ever-present help in time of trouble. In the midst of life's circumstances, regardless of what you and I may be facing this day, this very day, for today's concerns are sufficient enough. Many of us have on our plates a lot. In fact, if we took time to share with one another, we would be amazed to discover the heartaches and the hardship and the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations that are being faced by those who are sitting perhaps in the very seats next to us. And the beauty of it is God knows. God knows where we are. God sees our circumstances. God hears and knows our heart, our sorrows, and the scripture, like in the book of Exodus, reminds us that God comes down and he is our deliverer. He helps us. So in that protection, God is with us. And here's the thing. God often uses our circumstances really in many ways to prepare us. He has a purpose. The scripture goes on to tell us in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, as Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, he says, it is God who works in you both to will and to wait. God is working in us. And Paul, writing to the church in Rome, reminds us that God is causing all things to work together for the good. For the good. So that's a challenge sometimes when, again, we look with our natural eye and we see the circumstances. Sometimes we think, God, I don't see the good in the midst of my current circumstances. God, I don't see the good in the condition and the circumstances of the loved ones that are in my life. God, I don't necessarily see the good. It's a challenge oftentimes. But God has purpose, protection, and provision. 
And here's the thing. It's a challenge for you and I to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord. God is good. God is good. When Jesus was inquired at one point in time in his earthly ministry, someone came to him and said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? He said, good teacher. And Jesus stopped him. And he says, there is none good but one. The one he was referring to is God. God is good. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of lights. God is working good. And when circumstances are preaching to us that God is against us, that God is not good, how could a loving God do thus and so? Let's be reminded that our adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants us to believe that which is not true about the character and nature of the God whom we love and serve. So when circumstances don't appear as they ought to be, it's an opportunity for you and I to trust the Lord. You know the scripture, Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Our own understanding is what we see with our natural eye. Our natural eye, if we fix our eyes on what we see, can bring deception and they don't, they don't preach the same message that the Word of God is. And it's an encouragement for us to remain steadfast. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. God is good. God is faithful. God will come through. He always does. So he protects us. Now, the third thought in this positioning, he places us there. He protects us there. He also prospers. If you look at verse 11, it says, not only did he place him in the land of Egypt, and Egypt is that, if you will, that type of the world. He, he places us, his family, in the world, but he prospers us in that he gives us the best of the land. The best. Now, this is, it, that word in there, the best of the land, it carries with it a meaning. The meaning here is his desire is an internal desire as well as an external reality. The internal piece is that there would be joy being produced. Joy being produced. In the house of the righteous, the Bible says there are many treasures. Again, so often what we do is we equate with what we can see, what we can touch, and what we can handle. But not always do treasures have some kind of physical realities for us. There are treasures that are in the Lord that have no monetary value that we could place on them. For instance, joy. How do you place a dollar value on joy? It's difficult. How do you place a dollar value on love? How do you place a dollar value on peace? God wants to give every one of us peace. The scripture says, again, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer, intercession, with thanksgiving, giving thanks to God, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, 
will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So in the midst of difficult circumstances, God wants to speak peace into our lives. Peace. You know, sometimes God, like in the midst of the storm when Jesus was in the nose of the boat, and there was a storm, a tempest that was all around these experienced boaters, and they were concerned for the boat was being swamped with water. They went into the nose of the boat. They went down to the lower deck, and they woke Jesus up. Oh, don't you know we're about to die? And Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, and he came and he spoke, and we sang it in the worship song, the winds and waves still know his name. Jesus said, be still, and immediately there was a great calm, immediately. Sometimes God calms the storm. Most often I have discovered in my own life that God calms the saint. He helps, he brings peace, and it's, it's, it's not something that is necessarily even understood. We just have peace in the midst of our circumstances. So trust in the Lord. So it's God who is positioning us. And when I, when I think about that positioning, I'm reminded that he is sovereign, he is in charge, he is our help in all of our circumstances. So let's come to the second, the second point this morning as we look. If you look at verse 12, verse 12 says this, then Joseph provided. The King James says uh, that he nourished his father. I want to talk about God's providing for us. God gives again both tangibly and intangibly those things that will be necessary for what life brings or what life uh, circumstances we face. The first thought in association with provides for us is that God simply provides. It is his character. It is his nature. God gives. God is generous. Have you discovered the generosity of God in your life? When I think about grace, I think about how generous God's grace is. I know me, and I know my need for grace. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace that much more. How many of us are thankful for God's complete grace? Hallelujah. God has abundance, and he's providing. He is a giving God. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave he gave his only begotten son, whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is generous. He is the giver of good gifts, and he is causing all things to work again together for the good. He provides places. Again, it's interesting to, say, to see in verse 11, if you back up for just a moment in verse 11, it says, he gave them possession. He gave them possession. Possession here, it says possession in the land. The possession that he gave them was literally the dirt underneath their feet. He gave them a place to land, a secure place, a safe place. They are now sojourners. They're aliens. They're in a land that is not their own. And God says, look, I am going to give you a possession, a land to set your tent so that you are safe and secure 
while you are in the midst of this sojourning. I'm thankful on two scales that God also gives you and I a place here. This world is not our home. The Bible tells us that we are, we are aliens. We are passing through. The things of this world, the world itself, and all the less contain in is passing away. We are aliens and sojourners passing through. But the beauty is while we are here, he has given us place. And so there is a sense of I have a security in the place that God has provided for me. Israel needed a place to go. In the land of Canaan, the famine was severe. And so they became a mobile operation. Some 70 family members traveling by carriage and buggy and wagon, and they're making their way south, and God supplies a place for them in the midst of the hardship that they faced. They needed somewhere to go. They needed a place to land. And throughout the circumstances that were against them, in fact, it's interesting to note that Israel thought, Israel thought, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, he said, all of these things are against me before he became mobile. His perception was that the circumstances were against him. Anybody here ever have the sense that, man, my circumstances are against me? Israel's perspective was that all of these things were against him. And he was down in Egypt, and he was gaining understanding that it was God who had placed him there for this very purpose, to make provision for his family at a later date. Sometimes, again, what we see with our natural eye in the circumstances of life, we say, why, why, why? Just like Jacob, why? First my son Joseph is dead. Now my son Simeon, I'll consider him dead. And all of this stuff is against me. When in reality, God was preparing something downstream that would not be for sustenance for one day, but it was going to take care of the family for some 430 years. And while they were entering into Egypt as a family, they were going to exit Egypt as a nation. God was at work and God is doing things. That's how God is with us. He's in the midst of our circumstances. Sometimes in the snapshot of what we're facing, we're like, where are you, God? Where are you? Rest assured, God is who he says he is. He is faithful. He's loving. He's working. And there is, there is fruit ahead of us. God is working on our behalf. Now then, his provision. Number one, he provides. He provides that place for us. And he provides promises to us. I'm so thankful that we are not standing on wishful thinking. Oh, I hope. Oh, I hope. In the sense of I'm uncertain. We don't have to have uncertainty. The promises of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 tell us. The promises of God, all of the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. They're ours. God has provided these. 
He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How many blessings has God blessed us with? Every spiritual blessing. All of them. And they're ours. So we have the promises. We have the blessings. In fact, Peter tells us that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things has he given that pertain to life? All things. All things. If we asked what it is in your life that is needed today, we'd have a large list just sitting in this room. And here's the thing. God has provided all things that pertain to life. That means your life individually, my life individually, God has already provided. Thanks be to God. Sometimes it's a matter of us asking Sometimes it's a matter of us seeing a need and becoming the meter of the need in other people's lives. Can I get an amen? Sometimes it's, God, will you open my eyes to see what I cannot currently see? Sometimes we're simply blinded from what is right in the house. Sometimes we're blinded from that which is right in front of us. Sometimes what we see as the need meet is not the reality of how God wants to meet the need. Sometimes he's going to provide in a way that is outside of our realm of thinking. It's out of the box. And so, God, open my eyes and help me to see. So when life's most difficult circumstances are upon us, and we know these things about God, that he has provided for us. We know that he has given us the promises. We know that he has given us all of the blessings. We know that he's given us all things that pertain, but yet circumstances are overtaking us. How do we reconcile the truth with our reality? Anybody want to know the answer to this? How do we reconcile that truth to our reality? We're faced, we're sitting in the muck and the mire and the difficulties of life the heartaches that have come our way, and we say, yes, but I know, but I know. I know you want it to be really, really simple, as I want it to be really, really simple. And it is. It's trust. Trust. God is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. You see, sometimes our enemy wants us to believe that God has, that somehow God is not who he says he is. That God is not able to do the things that he says he will or he just won't for you or for me. If we look at the account in the Garden of Eden, this is how he worked with Adam and Eve. He began to question God and question God's motives. And it produced a sense in Eve to also question. Did God really say? Did God really say? What is it that the enemy is tempting in your life to not believe the character and nature of who God is? When we begin to look at the circumstances and we begin to question if God then why? If God, then why? Trust the Lord. Wait on the Lord. 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. All too often, we're in too big of a hurry. And I know what it's like to be in a hurry when it seems like things are crumbling all around, circumstances are difficult, the path and the road that I'm on is full of all kinds of difficulties and hardships, rocky crags or whatever. I mean, it's just a difficult walk. I'm like, God, get me on a different path. But if I remember that he is with me, he will never leave me nor forsake me, that he is good, he's at work, he's causing all things to come together for the good, I can fix my eyes on Jesus who is the author and the finisher of my faith. And I can have assurance and confidence in his character, in his nature. And I can say like the psalmist in Psalm 68, summon your power, O God, show us your strength as you have done before. It's your character, it's your nature. You will come through. You will come through. And I'm gonna rest in that. You will be my ever-present help in time of trouble. Trust. To believe. To believe. At one point in time, Jesus' ministry, he was asked, what must we do to do the works of God? And he said this, this is the work of God. This is the work of God. Believe. Believe in the one whom he has sent. Have you discovered in your life that believing the word of God comes with challenge because oftentimes the word of God is going to be contrary to what we're seeing. Do we believe that which is the natural eye and what is being whispered in our ear or do we believe the word of God? I want to encourage you today, stand fast on the word of God. Stand fast on the promises of God. Stand fast on the principles and the truths contained within the word of God. God is faithful. He will always come through. Even in the midst of that difficult circumstances, you, you can know for certainty that God is sovereign and he is at work. He is at work. Be steadfast. So trust and believe and be steadfast. Finally, the third thing is we focus on verses 11 and 12 this morning. The scripture tells us in verse 12, Joseph provided, he nourished. And so God preserves us is the third thought. He preserved not only his father, but his brothers and all of his household. The totality. I think the first thing I'd point out in this preservation is God possesses us, if I can say it that way. If, you're, if your faith today is in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you're born again, you have been adopted into the family of God. You bear his name. You bear his name. He cannot reject himself. So he will not reject us. That's encouraging. So he possesses us. We are his children. We belong to him. I love Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We, we sang this song like 30 years ago as a worship song. Fear not, for I am with you. 
Fear not, for I am with you, declares the Lord. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. We sang, we added the word child, you are mine. It's like God speaking, you are mine. You belong to me. You belong to me. How beautiful. God loves his children. We belong. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And that's encouraging. You belong. You belong. I recognize that in the family of God, this is, I mean, if you look around the room, you're beautiful folks. You really are. But the reality is we're all broken people. We're broken, every one of us. In fact, in the kingdom of God, Paul, talking to the church in Corinth, he said, look, not many of you were wise, not many of you were noble, and not many of you were mighty. That's like us. We're a ragtag team. Then Jesus, in his parable of the great banquet, he says, go and tell the guests that have been invited that the, the banquet is ready. And so they go out and they, one by one, begin to talk to those who had been invited to the banquet. And one by one, they began to make excuses as to why they couldn't be there. And so the servants came back, and the head of the house said, we'll go to the lame and the maim and the blind and the sick. And they said, well, we've done that. And they've come, and there's still room. And he said, well, go to the highways and the hedges. Who's out on the highways and the hedges? The loners, the homeless, those who had no place. He says, compel them to come. Compel them. So we have the not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty, the lame, the maimed, the blind, and the sick, and those who don't belong. That's the kingdom of God. Look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm encouraged. <laughs> but here's the beauty. God has made us a family because he's adopted us in, and we are brothers and sisters, and we belong to him. And he preserves us in this. He nourished his father, brothers, and all of the household. That is how God is with his children to this very day. To this very day, he is supplying and providing, and he is preserving in the midst. And part of that preservation is kind of the second thought. He's pre-engaged for us. He's pre-engaged. In other words, the land of Goshen was a land that was not desirable for the Egyptians. In fact, through most of the empire, of the Egyptian empire, most of the times of the reign, shepherds and herdsmen were like an abomination to the Egyptians. And so they would have kept far away from the good pasture land. Oh, that's perfect pre-engagement of the Lord. He says, great, I'm using this. So when the family of Israel comes down, he sets them in the best of the land. And it was fertile land. It was a land that was lavish. It was the best of the land. God was already working in advance. God is also working in advance for you and I. He's working in advance. He will 
lead us. He will guide us. He will direct our paths. He will make crooked places straight. I think of Isaiah chapter 45 with Cyrus the king. Here's a Persian king. God calls him his anointed. He says, my anointed, I take him by the hand. I lead him before the nations. I go before him. I make the crooked places straight. I level the mountains before him. I cut through the bars of iron and the gates of bronze to give treasures, riches stored in secret places. Here's the beauty. We're God's anointed. We're God's anointed. He'll take us by the hand. He calls us by name, just as in Isaiah chapter 45, he called Cyrus by name. He called the Persian king by name. Are you ready for this? 170 years before Cyrus was even born. God's pre-engaged. He says, I'm setting the course. He says, Cyrus, my anointed, I have taken by the hand. And do you know that God used Cyrus, the Persian king, to bring deliverance to the children of Israel at the end of the 70 years of captivity in the Babylonian kingdom? God raised up Cyrus, but 170 years before he was born, he was making all of those preparations. God knows, and he's prepared. Here's the thing. God's prepared for your needs and my needs before they even exist. And he is faithful, and we can have absolute assurance. So we can trust the Lord. We can trust the Lord. God is sovereign. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. He positions us, he provides for us, and he preserves us. If you're here this morning and you're in the midst of some difficult circumstances, our encouragement to you today, trust the Lord, believe the promises, and be steadfast and wait on the Lord. Watch the deliverance of your God. He is good and he is faithful. Amen. Amen. I want to invite those who are going to be serving us today as communion. Communion Sunday, the first Sunday of each month, we partake in communion. I'm going to invite those who are going to be serving us to come to the front now, our elders to prepare. And as they are preparing, I want to encourage you, as the Scripture encourages us, as we come to the communion table, that we would prepare our hearts for communion that we would prepare our hearts in that if there is something in your life that you know is unconfessed, that you would take time even now to simply where you're seated, to talk to the Lord, to communicate with him and to confess your need and simply say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. Will you cleanse me of all unrighteousness? Will you wash me? Will you wash me and purify my heart? Thanks be to God for his provision of salvation and cleansing through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his son. And so as these brothers are preparing, I invite you this morning to stand. Will you stand this morning with me? We're going to invite you in just a moment to enter to the center aisles. And as the worship team is setting up, we'll be inviting you in a moment to come down the center aisles and our brothers will serve. Will you hold the emblems, the bread and the juice and will you hold these, making your way back to your seat around the outside so we don't have a congestion, and then we can all partake of communion together. I'll come back, and we'll spend a few moments talking about each of these emblems, and then we'll pray, and we'll receive them together. And so as the worship team is playing, I simply invite you to come forward at this time.
be served by our brothers. Come on out. Father, according to the word, we examine ourselves even now. We do not want to come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. So, Father, corporately we ask that you would forgive us our sin. Lord, individually we ask, would you forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our iniquity, Thank you, Jesus, that you have already paid the price. Father, will you also cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we might walk in the victory even as we have sung of the victory this morning. May we walk dead to sin, dead indeed to sin, reckoning our lives dead indeed to sin. We ask it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said amen. Amen. We hold in our hands the bread and the cup. 
The bread is matzah bread. By way of reminder, it is a bread without leaven. Leaven in the scripture is a type of sin. And Jesus being the bread of life, he was without leaven. He was without sin. For thousands of years, Jews have partaken in unleavened bread since the Passover. Jesus is our Passover. And this unleavened bread that we hold in our hand, this matzah, it has piercings in it and it has scores down it in its large sheets. And again, it's a testimony of what Christ has done for us. The scripture says in the prophet Zechariah says, they will look upon the one in whom they have pierced. To this very day, the Jews, when they partake in Passover and they break the matzah bread and they eat the matzah bread, they are literally looking on the one whom they have pierced by way of type. And they will one day look upon Jesus himself whom they have pierced. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that it is by his stripes we are healed. And these scores in the bread remind us of the stripes that Christ took for us on his physical body. So, Father, today we give you thanks for the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who endured. Thank you, Jesus, that you were obedient, as the Scripture says, even obedient to death upon the cross. You became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so we give you thanks for your broken body. Let's partake together of the bread. that we hold in our hands is symbolic of the Seder meal, the Passover meal that is partaken on an annual basis by the Jews. It's in the midst of that meal that there are four designated cups and they are partaken of by the entire family. This particular cup was the cup after supper, as the text would tell us. It was after supper that Jesus took the cup and giving thanks, he gave explanation. The explanation to a Jewish person who is steeped in Judaism would have understood that that third cup is known as the cup of redemption, the cup of redemption. So as we hold this cup together today. Jesus was making the declaration, no longer in the blood of bulls and rams will you find redemption. But in the shed blood, my blood, Jesus said. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. By you and I partaking of this juice, we are declaring that we are part we are part, we belong, we are subjecting ourselves to God's perfect plan, redemption through Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Every one of us are making a public declaration when we partake of this cup, I am under the covering of Jesus Christ. His atoning work upon the cross at Calvary, I am under, my sin is forgiven and forgiven in him and in him alone. This cup, the cup of redemption. Father, on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus took the cup and giving thanks. He said, 
This cup is the new covenant. The new covenant. The old covenant has gone. The new covenant in the shed blood of Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And so in a public testimony, we testify. We're born again. We are, by our own confession, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in our hearts, God, that you raised him from the dead. And we are saying redemption in Christ and in Christ alone. We give you thanks for your great plan of salvation. Jesus, we give you thanks again for shedding your blood for us that we might be atoned. Our sin, our iniquity would be atoned for. We give you thanks. Let's partake of the cup together this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we give you thanks for this day. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you, Lord, that a great light has shone. And the people who were living in a wandering and wilderness state have seen a great light. So, Lord, you have opened the sky that we might see your salvation through Jesus. We give you thanks today. Lord, help us to be salt and light as we go from this place to convey the love of God through Jesus Christ and to communicate to those in the area that you have placed us. Lord, may we tell others and testify that you are the one who has placed us. You're the one who is providing for us, and you are the one who is preserving us while we are here. God be glorified. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen.